At the end of our last episode, I spoke briefly about your influence and your husband's authority working in harmony. And I want to expand on that today. Essential caveat, today's episode is not for marriages which are currently in crisis. Um, This episode assumes that you have a solid discipline of joy, that when you make a mistake, you're able to get back on track within a day or two, especially with regards to living the serenity prayer. So if I'm throwing out phrases that sound unfamiliar to you, such as discipline of joy and living the serenity prayer, you'll definitely want to back up to episode five because we have two episodes introducing the need for the discipline of joy. And then we have 11 episodes detailing the different aspects or layers of that discipline. This has been the bulk of our content up until this point, and this podcast is pedagogical. So if you are unfamiliar with this whole idea of the discipline of joy, please do understand that if you listen to today's episode and try to implement anything from it without that discipline firmly established, it might not go over well. It might even backfire. So for our longtime listeners, Thank you so much for being patient with my sporadic releases. In spite of them, um, our listener base has actually grown since I went sporadic. So I just want to say thank you. I was not expecting that. Um, I knew that there was a risk of losing listeners if I backed off. And with quite the opposite having happened, I feel very supported by all of you and stepping back from this podcast to focus on my vocation in the home. So thank you, ladies. In the past, we've talked about the weight of a husband's authority, the weight of answering to God for everything that happens in his family, the weight of being tasked by God to have the last say and to thus assume full responsibility for the fallout of his decisions. We've also talked about that double standard that pops up rather frequently of women complaining that their husbands are not good leaders are not stepping up to lead the family, but then when we dig into the history, we find that his attempts to lead have been heavily criticized and disrespected. I just want to take a moment to comment on the exercise of authority. Assuming authority, even if it's an authority that you know you have a right to exercise, can be very uncomfortable. I think most of us wives have very little compassion for this, and I think that's rooted in um, in that worldly upbringing where we women are told that we're in competition with men and that we have to be assertive. But the thing is, you have a man who is faced with an objectively competent and capable and confident woman, and unfortunately, that woman has all the power in the world to turn the matter of his headship into a lose-lose situation. You, as his wife, you have all the power in the world to determine what it will cost him to exercise his headship. Because his exercise of authority is not intended as any sort of criticism or challenge to your objective competence. But that's what so many of us wives make it out to be. Why we do this is sort of a mystery, because even for those of us who have been in the workforce, in a work situation, at a good company, the leadership of the CEO and the board and managers and supervisors is not intended as an insult to those who are under their leadership. You're lucky if you marry a man who is 
already a CEO or in some similar position of being responsible for the well-being of so many other people, but most of us are marrying men who have never had to be responsible for anyone but themselves. And we have so little compassion for this challenge and for the learning curve that comes with being responsible for other people. Before a priest takes on a congregation, he has around seven years of schooling, depending on his situation, before he's ordained. Do you spend seven years on structured marriage preparation with homework and pastoral years before you take on being a wife and a mother and being responsible for your husband and children? No. Yes, your family is much smaller than a congregation, but the reality which remains is that your husband needs conscious practice at taking responsibility for you and any children, and it takes time. Headship is like a muscle, and doing well in the exercise of headship requires regular intentional practice, just like any other skill worth attaining. If you don't think that your husband has been a very good head of household up until this point, you need to ask yourself if you've been an obstacle to him getting some decent practice. But again, we've talked a lot about this already in months past, so let's say that you are already practicing a discipline of joy, you've been using the examen from episode 14, and hopefully you've already seen a significant bump in your husband's confidence since eliminating criticism and unsolicited advice on your part. We also spent, of course, seven episodes on our compensating series on moving towards a biblical model of marriage where the husband is at least the primary, if not sole, provider for the family, and the wife has taken full ownership of her God-given role to be keeper and cultivator of culture in her home. So let's say that all of that is a given. Today, I would like to offer an idea for not just providing a safe space for your husband to practice headship, but actually actively encouraging your husband to practice his headship. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 reads, quote, he who is faithful in very little is faithful also in very much, end quote. If you can give your husband many smaller opportunities to practice making decisions which impact the family, then he will eventually be able to approach bigger decisions with ease. And again, for him to make that decision is not a negative reflection of your own capability or of your own competence. What I'd like to suggest for your consideration is that the opposite is actually true, that when you see a man who demonstrates strength in his position as head of household, what you're actually seeing is a reflection of a wife who excels in biblical submission. As a Christian wife, as a Catholic wife, you ought to want to excel in biblical submission to head of household, to be an example to your daughters, to your sisters, to your friends. You should want to be excellent at holy submission. If we talk about wasting talents that God has given you, you are created helpmeet. You want to talk about wasting talents? Being a mediocre helpmeet when that's what God created you to be with your entire being, that is a waste and a tragedy. So yes, my one idea for you today is to intentionally provide your husband with many small opportunities to make decisions which impact the family. If you can help him to be faithful and successful in little ways, then you're giving him 
so much. <laughs> you're giving him so much. You're giving him opportunities to grow in confidence and self-esteem. You're allowing him to build up his portfolio, his resume, so to speak. You're giving him a safe space to gather evidence of his ability to act on behalf of the family. You're giving him the little stones that he needs to pave his path to heaven. You're restoring to him the dignity of which he has been stripped by an emasculating world. You're helping him to heal from trauma that he doesn't even know that he has from possibly his family of origin, from possibly his schooling, from very probably his workplace, and to move forward. You're giving him a leg up, so to speak, in making his mark on your family and on the world. Remember that Adam was tasked with care of the garden. Give your husband as many opportunities as you can, no matter how small, to make decisions which impact the family. Now, the most, most important thing to understand about doing this is that when he provides you with a decision, you have to be prepared to do exactly as he says, to the letter, with zero complaining and zero pushback, which is why, as I said at the beginning of this episode, today's content is not really for women whose marriages are currently in crisis. I'm not saying that you can't try it, but I am saying that if a discipline of joy is not firmly established, that this can backfire on and for both you and your husband. And that could be a whole other episode. But in a nutshell, if he still feels very heavily disrespected, then he may feel like you're just asking him a trick question. And then you're both engaging in mind games and you just end up hating each other. If your marriage is still relatively in crisis, please Go back to episode five. If you have a discipline of joy established and you're thinking that this sounds like a good idea and you're all for trying it, but you have no idea what I mean by small decisions which impact the family, I will now share a few examples from our marriage. <laughs> Example one. Men generally hate when their wives ask them to pick a restaurant. Okay, hate might be a little strong, but they're usually not fond of it unless they feel very strongly that they know exactly what their wife likes. So one thing that I do when I am not up for cooking for whatever reason, everyone's been sick or we've been out all day and I don't have anything at home that I can throw together quickly, whatever. Instead of asking him generally to pick a restaurant, I say to him, I can't think about dinner between Chick-fil-A, Chipotle and sushi. I would be perfectly happy. Would you please decide for me? Example number two, we were outgrowing our two bedroom apartment and we kept receiving gifts of kids clothes from friends and family whose kids had outgrown said clothes. I'm the sort of person who wants to keep everything to save money down the road. But the reality was that storing these clothes away, some of them clothes that wouldn't fit our kids for another decade or so, was taking over our apartment. So. I did some research and I found the Swoondle Society where you can trade kids' clothes, but I was still having trouble deciding what to keep and what not to keep. So I asked my husband if he could please decide which of the boys' clothes to keep for our son, our firstborn, and which to send into this trading service, the Swoondle Society. I learned that my husband cares a lot about what his son wears. I learned that because our son was potty trained, for example, he didn't want our son's jeans or Sunday slacks to have elastic waistbands anymore. 
He was very particular about outdated patterns and styles, like those polo shirts with a fake contrast sleeve attached to look like you're wearing a long sleeve shirt under a polo. My husband got rid of probably 70% of the clothes that I had stored for our son. We sent it all in to trade. When I realized how much my husband cared about what his son was wearing, I asked him to do the same thing for our daughter's clothes. And again, I learned that he has strong standards for our daughters. He doesn't like patterns that look like they're from the 70s. He doesn't like clothes with words on them. He likes empire waists for our younger daughter, but once our older daughter hit about 18 months, he wanted her dresses gathered at the normal waistline. Now, every month, we tag team on deciding what clothes to receive from the trading service. So I determine what's needed, which makes sense because I'm the one washing clothes every day and dressing the kids most days. And so I know what they're outgrowing, what they're wearing out, what just doesn't fit well. And I pull up all of the options for those types of items. My husband then goes in and makes the final calls on the trades, which means that he is mostly looking at style. The result is that I feel that our children have what they need. I have the satisfaction of knowing that they're well provided for, and he feels proud of having chosen well-styled clothes for them and enjoys dressing them in the clothes that he's had the opportunity to choose. Example number three, I was vulnerable with my husband during my third pregnancy about how anxious and somewhat uncomfortable I was about how my body was changing with childbearing. I was also vulnerable about the fact that even though I loved to sew, I was trying to accept that with two children under the age of three, that I was just not in a season of life where I could realistically make a whole lot of time to sew a new wardrobe for myself. I shared how helpful it was for my mental health to feel put together. And I said that I would really like to reevaluate my entire wardrobe, which I had been rather haphazardly forcing to be maternity and or breastfeeding friendly for our older kids. I asked him for a clothes budget and he gave me a monthly wardrobe budget that is more than twice what I would have asked for myself. So part of thanking him for that has been ordering clothes online that I can try on at home and have him make the final calls. So I look mostly for functionality, but also style. And when he makes the final decisions, I end up with clothes that meet my needs, but that both of us love. He's very complimentary and also very proud of himself. Now I ask my husband to pick my dress every Sunday and anytime that we're going out for gatherings of any type. It's a lovely feeling. I have a strong preference for nursing clothes with hidden zippers along the bodice from the shoulder to the waistline. I really don't like extra layers or trying to make something breastfeeding friendly by wearing a really baggy layer over a loose underlayer. I don't like feeling frumpy and clumsy and worrying about nursing openings being accidentally revealed by chasing after little kids. I don't like skirts getting pulled down by toddlers. It's a lovely feeling on Sundays to feel modest, to feel equipped. My youngest is still nursing at mass, but also to know that my husband is proud of how his wife presents herself, to know that he loves how I look on his arm. Example number four. 
I asked my husband to set my cleaning priorities. You've probably seen those memes joking about how being a mom means that rooms take turns being clean. <laughs> I was vulnerable with my husband. I took a leaf out of Carla's book, if you remember us discussing this in her interview here on our podcast. I told him that I felt overwhelmed a lot of the time and behind on cleaning. He tried to comfort me and tell me that he knew I was doing my best, but I pressed him on this. I asked him, what were the three most important things to him with regards to the house cleaning, where if many other things were suffering, what were the three things that he would have me stay on top of? And he gave me those. He said, clothes off the floor, seats cleared, and floor swept. He doesn't care so much if the bookshelves are straightened, if the shoes are all stored properly, if the kitchen sink is empty, or if the linens are rolled up nicely. Those are things I care about. But when life happens, it's much easier for me to focus on those things that matter to him, to feel like I've been obedient and done my duty by him, and to know that any pressure I'm feeling with regards to the other stuff is pressure that I am putting on myself and can therefore adjust my expectations of myself as I discern is needed. And life happens. People get sick. You have busy schedules. You're learning your kids' capacities for helping. They're growing. You know, they're more helpful, less helpful, whatever. So a constant adjustment is needed. But I can take care of those top three things that I know matter most to my husband. Example number five, I asked my husband for advice on homeschooling. My husband is a teacher. Our oldest child is pre-K. My husband has taught all ages and grade level levels from kindergarten through adult education, and adult education is where he is now. I was overwhelmed with homeschooling planners that had spaces for like 14 subjects each day. I told my husband I was lost and going insane, and he told me to do three, maximum four lessons per day, and to expect the kids' attention span to be three-ish minutes per lesson, maximum ten if they were really into it. This made the entire endeavor so much more approachable and enjoyable for me, and I have the peace of knowing that my husband, as head of household, has the authority to make such decisions about his kids' education. It's just my job to follow. I don't have to put any additional pressure on myself, and that feels great. So, ladies, grow your peace at home by looking for opportunities to invite your husband to exercise headship. It can be as small and as simple as asking him to pick out your dress for Sunday. That's great. Little decisions will pave the way for bigger ones. He'll grow in confidence and you will grow in both humility and trust. Peace will grow if you embrace this dynamic of your influence and his headship working in harmony. God bless.